You're listening to the DET 313 NFL Podcast with your host, Nick Donabedian. Hello there, and welcome to episode one, the inaugural episode of the DET 313 NFL Podcast. I am your host, Nick Donabedian, and needless to say, I'm excited. And I'm excited for multiple reasons. Number one, ladies and gentlemen, the NFL is back. That's right. This past Thursday, the Bucks, Cowboys battled it out down in Tampa. Um, what a game to start the season, by the way. I mean, first off, great seeing the fans back in the stadium. The atmosphere was electric the entire night. Tom Brady still slinging it like he's 30 years old. And how about Dak Prescott? I know Dallas ended up losing that game, but Dak Prescott played fantastic. And he's got that shoulder injury, a little nagging right now, and I'm sure it's something him, all of us, will be monitoring all year. But if he can stay healthy, look out for the Dallas Cowboys. I'm predicting them to win that division. Um, and it was a treat watching probably two of the top five offenses in the NFL kick off the season this past Thursday. Um, but enough about them. This is about the Detroit Lions, my favorite team, the team I've grown up loving, hating, but always coming back to loving. Um, and I couldn't be more excited for this Sunday. This Sunday officially kicks off the Dan Campbell, Brad Holmes era with the Detroit Lions. We're hosting the San Francisco 49ers down at Ford Field. I believe the kickoff is at 1 o'clock Eastern time, uh, noon here in Chicago. Um, but yeah, you know, honestly, excited, like I said, for the NFL season, excited for the Detroit Lions, excited for this podcast. Um, this is something I've wanted to do for quite a while now. Uh, it really kind of starts and ends with my fandom of the Detroit Lions, born and raised in Metro Detroit, uh, outside of um, Troy, Michigan. And since I've been born, it's something I feel like all of us Lions fans can relate to. Um, usually you're born <laughs> into being a Lions fan. Uh, not something you typically choose, and I wouldn't uh, you know, ask anybody to choose to be a fan of our team. Don't want to put anyone else through that, but a diehard Lions fan nonetheless. And really... Before I even get into what I want to talk about today, I just want to talk about what it's like to be a Detroit Lions fan. And I know a lot of the listeners probably are already familiar with all this, but in case you're not, um, get some tissues out, maybe shed a tear for us. Here's kind of an idea of what it's like to be a Lions fan. So since our last world championship, that's right, not Super Bowl, world championship, back in 1957, the Detroit Lions have gone through 20 head coaches. And that includes interim head coaches. Now, 13 of those hires have come during the 29 years I've been on this earth. That means on average, a coach for the Detroit Lions since 1992 has been here for usually around two seasons, a little over. Now, even looking at our division, the NFC North, the last NFC North title we won was back in 1993. So that's probably a year, one year old. Now, since then, we made the playoffs seven times. Great. But we've lost all seven playoff games in typical Lions fashion. And the last one we were in in terms of the playoffs is all the way back to 2016. We lost to Seattle that game 26-6. It was not pretty, as you can imagine. The last actual playoff win we've had, I'm talking about us, the Detroit Lions, 1991. Again, I was out alive for this. It was against Dallas. Would love to see one of those in my lifetime. I don't think that's too much to ask. But really... It gets a little worse. We're only one of four teams that have never made it to the Super Bowl. Um, the only other three, the Browns, Texans, and Jaguars. And I would argue, and really I don't even think it's much of an argument, um, we are the worst professional sports franchise in North America. It's, it's really not close. And I know it's tough. And I know it stinks. 
And yet year after year after year, what do I do along with all of you who are again are diehards like me? We come back optimistic. Because that's all we can do. That's truly all we can do as Lions fans is come back and hope. And this year, I think we have some hope. Now, I don't want to blow it out of proportion. There's a lot of question marks for the Lions in 2021. There's a lot we really don't know. And there's, quite frankly, not a lot of talent on this team. Or at least proven talent, I should say. But our loyalty to this team is what makes this city great. What makes us, like, rooting for this team great is, I know I'm in it with all of you. And it's kind of that Midwest feel. Blue-collar town. Sports kind of really help lift everybody up when things are good. And someday... I guarantee it. Someday, hopefully, like I said, in my lifetime, we see this team make the city proud and host a Lombardi Trophy. Will it be under Dan Campbell? Maybe. Will it be under Ford's ownership? Maybe. Time will tell, but let's start focusing on the 2021-2022 NFL season. And like I said, it starts with the hiring of Dan Campbell and Brad Holmes. And I want to talk about that process that we went through as we hired both those individuals. It was lengthy. It was thorough. And ultimately, in my opinion, it was well executed by ownership. I mean, this was a process that took weeks. And I remember when we were all sitting at home going through it. Oh, is it going to be Robert Sala? You know, Eric Benemy's still out there. Oh, who's going to be our GM? There's so many guys. I think we interviewed around like 12 people for the job. I believe we also legitimately were considering six head coaching candidates before we hired MCDC. But what I really like about that, looking back at it, is we took our time with it. We did our due diligence. We went through a nice thorough process, like I mentioned. And I truly believe we came out with two guys who, from the top down, we truly believe in and aren't tied to the hip to start with, like Bob Quinn and Matt Patricia. And the new direction of this franchise, a lot of the hope, I truly believe, stems from Martha Ford. Sorry, not Martha Ford, Sheila Fordhamp. <laughs> now, Sheila, since she's taken over this team, you can tell she wants to win. She's been saying the right things. The words are cheap. You know, time will truly tell if she actually is invested in, in winning and changing this thing and, and changing the culture and the trajectory of, of where this team is headed. But again, the process we went to hire Dan and Brad, to me, shows she's serious. She wants to win. She wants this to work. No offense to her. I mean, her parents, Martha, Henry Ford, they didn't care. They cared. It was their team that's making them money. They care. They want it to be good. But they never made the necessary moves or took the amount of time to put this together the right way. And Sheila, to me, showed she wants to win, truly wants to win, by doing things the right way, taking the time to hire the right people who she believes in. And also before we even hired MCDC, Brad Holmes, the first thing she did was hire Chris Spielman. Now this is significant because prior to Chris Spielman getting here, Rod Wood was essentially the advisor on all things, business as well as football to ownership. Now I don't know Rod Wood. I never talked to the guy. But I do know that besides being buddy-buddy with the Ford family, he didn't look overly qualified to be the position that he's in right now. And hearing what Calvin Johnson had to say a little bit about him, sounds like he's a little bit of a trickle-over effect from when uh, the Ford family was running this team into the ground. But 
I'll give him a chance. Again, we got Shield at the helm, so hopefully things are different. But Chris Spielman was a huge hire for this team. Huge. He's now the special assistant to the president slash CEO and chairman. And he's finally giving us a football guy helping us make football decisions. That right there is a competent franchise, something I have not been able to say about the Lions in a very long time. We're competent right now. And I take that as a huge win. And Chris Spielman, kudos to you for coming in and helping with that. Again, we don't know how these hires will, will be. We, we really don't right now. But I like the people up top making the decisions right now. And let's talk about Brad Holmes and, and MCDC, Dan Campbell. So Brad Holmes, I mean, starting with him, significant experience. Great experience, and in my opinion, the most important thing a GM needs to be good at, which is scouting college talent. And that's what he was, director of college scouting with the Rams. And when he was with the Rams prior to coming to Detroit, he drafted the likes of Aaron Darnold, Todd Gurley, Cooper Cup, even our new quarterback, Jared Goff. I mean, this is a guy who truly loves evaluating and picking out players who fit what he wants to do and what his vision is of this team. And that's a vision he's been very vocal about one that he shares with Dan Campbell. And in order for any franchise to be successful, the head coach and general manager need to be in sync and aligned on where the team is headed. And so far, that's been seamless and something they've been very public and praising about one another. But on top of Brad Holmes' experience, and we'll talk a little bit more about his Matthew Stafford trade in a second, but he brought in some notable names to help him out. Like He is a first-time true general manager. So yes, I like the hire, but we will see if, he, if he's cut out for the job. But the people he brought in or have kept were significant. Ray Agnew, his new assistant general manager. This is a guy who's ahead of pro scouting over there in Los Angeles, came over with Brad, had nothing but great things to say about Brad and why he wanted to join him. John Dorsey, senior personnel executive now with the Lions. This is a person who has been a general manager in the league. And you look at who he drafted when he was GM of the Browns, he has an eye for talent. Okay? He's a guy who understands what to look for for today's NFL game. Is going to be a great resource for Brad Holmes as long as he's, as long as he's there. Then Rob, Rob Lowen, director of pro scouting. Another guy, looking at his resume, definitely qualified for the job and someone who I'm sure Ray Agnew will be helping develop in that position. But another under-the-radar move that the management team did, and ownership truly allowed to happen, was move Mike Disner, that's right, Mike Disner, to the Senior Vice President of Football and Business Ad Administration. Why is this significant? Who is Mike Disner? Well, I don't know much about Mike Disner, if I'm being honest. I read an article about him. He's a rising star, according to the article, in terms of um, player management, salaries, etc. And what's great about the move, though, is his new role, essentially, is handling all player contract negotiations as well as Lions salary cap. That's significant, having someone handle that. Typically, on other, other organizations, the general manager is also in charge of those responsibilities. But what we're allowing us to do now is, Brad Holmes, focus on what you do best. Go evaluate talent and let's go pick some players. Go talk to your staff and figure out, hey, what free agents out there should we look at or should be considering or who should we keep an eye on? That's all I need you to do, Brad Holmes. Mike Disner, hey, what I need you to do is manage the books, negotiate some contracts, 
Let's keep this roster competitive and keep building on it. But let's do it smart when it comes to our finances. Having an organization lay that out, and I think there's a few organizations that do it, but not all of them, just to me makes so much sense. Why would you want to burden your GM, first your GM, with salary and negotiations and making him the only person really handling that and calling all the shots? You don't want to put too much on Brad Holmes' plate right now. He might ease into that with time, but right now, focus on talent, which he's going to be able to do. And I'm excited. I like his demeanor. I like Brad Holmes. He's calm. He seems calculated. He has good thoughts and good rationale for why he's drafting somebody, why he's making a move. He's honest and transparent. And that's something that Dan Campbell is as well. And I'm about to talk about Dan Campbell in a second, but that's what we didn't get with Patricia and Quinn. They kept everything hush-hush. I don't want anything to leak. I'm going to give the media the same freaking answers every damn week. Well, Matt, our defense is still bleeding points left and right. What's the problem? We got beaten on deep routes again, and we can't, you know, stop a leak. Well, we got to get better. You know, that's on me. It's on the players. We just got to get better. Thanks, Matt. Sound like the next week's exactly the same. We're finally getting people who are wanting to share their thoughts because they're confident in their thoughts. And to me, confidence, it goes along with being competent. So I'm excited about Brad Holmes. I'm excited about the people working underneath him. And I couldn't be more excited about Dan Campbell. And I, <laughs> he's a polarizing figure. He is. He's a character. The national media loves making fun of him. He's a, a meathead, if you will. But I think there's more to him than just being a big dude, if you will. Um, and I'll never forget, and this is true, I texted my friends, and I saved that text, by the way. I will happily share that with anybody who wants to see it. But on November 29th, 2020, now Mark, this is the day after Matt Patricia was fired. I, I slept on my thoughts to, you know, I wanted to be our next head coach. I texted my friends this. Guys, I'm all in on wanting Dan Campbell to be the Lions' next head coach. I think he's the best candidate out there, exactly what this franchise needs. And I stand by that. He could be a bust. But people say already he's going to be a bust. They don't know what they're talking about. I can't tell you he's going to be the next Bill Belichick because if I said that, I wouldn't know what I was talking about either. But I like this guy's resume. I like his experience. And I truly think he has what it takes to make it work and thrive, in my opinion, here in Detroit. Let me explain. Number one, he is experienced when it comes to coaching. Oh, well, this is his first head coach job. Yes and no. First time being hired as a full-time head coach, but he was an interim head coach with Miami back in 2015, and that is significant. And I'm sure it played a significant role in, in why we were confident in hiring him as well. Listen, I understand Robert Sala's name is a big name. Arthur Smith, all these guys, right? Big coordinators. Oh, we got to get the biggest name. The media's hyping them up. They got to be good. That's who I want as my head coach. Why? Because you're listening to the media, the national media. Everybody knows, and I work in media, okay? Outside of doing this podcast, I work in advertising. I understand how ratings and everything works. It's all about having a narrative and getting people excited and getting people to tune in. And quite frankly, Dan Campbell wasn't a big name for the media, so they don't latch on to him, right? Oh, Arthur Smith, look at that offense in Tennessee. Robert Sala, the emotion on the sidelines. The 49ers defense is sick. And I think both of those guys can be good, good coaches. I'm using them as an example. But going back to Dan Campbell, 
he is the only one who has understand what it's like to sit in a head coach seat. Have a staff listen to him. He's setting the tone with the team, the locker room, understanding the media obligations with meeting with the press, taking time out of his way to do sponsorships, interviews, etc. A head coach job is something that you really can't prepare for unless you've done it before, and he has. And he's mentioned that multiple times at his press conferences. He's mentioned how he understands that, you know, he took the lumps the first, what was it, 12 games or so he coached in Miami. You know, managing his time, understanding how stressful that can be and being on top of that. He knows what the day-to-day looks like, which to me makes me excited. He's going to be able to hit the ground running and try to implement his process, his systems, and not have to worry about learning something new for the first time in terms of how to deal with, deal with the media. But also he learned under legends. That's right, legends. I mean, as a player, he always mentions it. It's obviously everyone knows. Bill Parcells, one of the greatest NFL coaches of all time. That's who he truly learned under as a player and who he models himself after as a coach. Not a bad idea. Because Bill Parcells, I mean, I'm sure he has foundational pieces and beliefs that he gave Dan when Dan was playing underneath him. Got to have a foundational uh, building out of the trenches. Got to be able to run the ball efficiently. Got to be able to manage the ball, not turn it over, not ask your team to do too much, or we got to have intensity the entire way through. And also, Bill Parcells was great at connecting and getting the most out of his players. That's something I truly believe Dan Campbell will thrive at. But also, let's not disregard five years as the assistant head coach under Sean Payton. Again, another Bill Parcells disciple. But what's great about Sean Payton is, and he will be a Hall of Fame coach someday, there's no doubt about it. He's an offensive genius. He's more aggressive offensively. And, and Dan alluded to that as well. You know, yes, I'm an old school guy maybe at heart, but, you know, I'm much more progressive than people understand. And a lot of that is due to what he's witnessed and learned under Sean Payton. Also, he keeps praising how much Sean Payton empowered his coaching staff, got to know his players. These are two things that are so important to being a head coach in the NFL, and I think Dan was going to be very good at both of those. But also, we can't not talk about Dan Campbell if we're going to just pass over, you know, obviously his 11 seasons as an NFL player. That's huge. And I know a lot of coaches out there, the trend in recent years has been, well, they don't need to be a player. They got to be a coordinator, a play caller. They got to have smarts. They got to be brainy. It's these nerdy guys who just kind of get a job because they're good at X's and O's. That's, that's the reality of it. Good at X's and O's for the most part. That could work. It has worked. But that's not to say that hiring a player coach like Dan Campbell, a guy who played in the NFL for over a decade, also, again, that, that could work. It can. It definitely can. You look at Mike Vrabel in Tennessee, doing a phenomenal job. Personally, I think he turned around the Titans. Guy is getting the most out of Ryan Tannehill. Has that team believing, has that team jacked up. And every year now, since he's taken over, they're a team who we look at as a playoff potential team. Why can't that be Dan Campbell? Same type of background. Understands a locker room from being in it understands the grind that players go through and being able to understand what players go through, understand, again, like I said, keeping the locker room upbeat and tight and healthy. That's huge. That's absolutely enormous. And Dan Campbell knows these things from being in these players' shoes before. And players will respond to that. Players already have. 
You listen to people talking about Dan Campbell. I'm talking about the players. They love the fact that him and the coaching staff put together, a lot of these guys have played. They respect the fact that they played. They listen to these guys because they know they've gone through it as well. And I think the, the coaches, too, know how to push the right buttons because they've done it. They know when they go too far. They know when they can push someone more or expect more out of somebody. It's not just an X's and O's, Matt Patricia or somebody like that who thinks, well, I'm smart than everyone because I know how it should work. I, and they're actually done it myself, so I don't really know how it could work or does work if I was a person with the pads on. So I'm excited about Dan Campbell. I, I truly am. And the biggest two things to me for why I think he's a perfect fit for Detroit Number one, he understands this, this organization. He played here in 06, 07, 08. And, and let's be honest. I think us Detroiters can be, be real about this. Coaching in Detroit is not for everybody. And it doesn't take your standard typical coach to be successful here in Detroit. It just doesn't. It's, it's a weird city that way. We're, I think, arguably one of the best sports towns in, in America. We got diehard loyal fans no matter what. We live and breathe with our teams. Even when they're bad, like the Lions most of the time, we're still tracking every move they make, watching them on Sundays, paying attention to what the article and beat writers are writing out there, paying attention to the draft. I feel like that's year-round with us because what else do you have to look forward to? But being a coach in Detroit, you need to embrace the city. You understand what this organization has gone through. And he's been here. He's seen it. He loves Detroit. And, and everything he says, you know, Tapping into the foundation, the fabric of what makes Detroit Detroit and, and establishing that as an identity of this team, it works here. People can make fun of it. National media, who, again, won't ever truly pay attention to Detroit, can make fun all they want. But you look at the history of Detroit sports, the bad boy Pistons, 2004 Pistons, the 90s Red Wings, you know, the grind line, Coaster, McCarty, Drapes, Mulpey. When this team has won championships and been successful, they've been known for blue-collar players, physical players. Defense is going to help us win. That's, that's the blueprint for success in Detroit, no matter the sport. And I truly believe that Dan Campbell understands that. He's embraced it. He's going to have this team embrace it, and it's going to be a big part of our identity. And it's, I don't think Matt Patricia ever understood it. Matt Patricia might have said it. But I don't think he truly understood it. He was like, hey, I know what Detroit's about, but I'm going to try to make you guys the Patriots. Dan Campbell's like, no, I know what Detroit's about, and we're going to embrace that fully. And he's authentic, guys. Dan Campbell is authentic. Why is that, why is that important, Nick? I mean, hey, like, <laughs> so what? Players, media, you and I listening, fans... We will respond well to someone who's just real with us. That's all we want. Be honest. Let's talk about stuff we saw. Let's talk about the, the hurdles we need to overcome or the good things we might see. Let's just keep it real. He keeps it real. He's not trying to be somebody he isn't. You know, Patricia always tried to be Belichick. Most of Belichick's disciples try to be Belichick. And I get to an extent, you know, he's, he's your role model. So you're going to naturally take away some of his coaching tendencies. But not Dan Campbell. Dan Campbell learned a lot of important things under his mentors, but in terms of how he handles himself in the public light, he does it his way. And that's going to, I guess, just honestly be a 
breath of fresh air for all of us after the last three years. Someone who's not going to bullshit. Keep it real. And then move on to the next week. That, that's what he's going to do. And I'm just really excited about him, his makeup, his background. I thought he was the most qualified person to be a head coach out of all the people who were hired as first-year head coaches. But also the staff he puts together, there's no way you can't be excited. I mean, it's a puzzle. We, we, we really don't know how it's all going to come together, but he hired a lot of ex-players again for the reasons I mentioned. They're going to resonate with the players, connect with the players, form a relationship, trust based on their experience in the league, being able to understand what these guys go through. Deuce Daly, assistant head coach, running back coach. Ever heard him talk? The guy's a future head coach, no doubt about it. Before his career is done, he will be a head coach somewhere. Anthony Lynn, offensive coordinator. We'll see. I, I, he's the one I will admit I have some question marks about. I like him. I like his personality. I think he's pretty even-peeled. Seems pretty confident in himself, which is great. I don't know how he's going to be as a play caller. He was successful the year he did it with the Bills before he took the job with the Chargers. He was good, especially at running the ball. I mean, I know everyone's talked about, oh, he's a run-first guy. For sure he is. But he's done it successfully, which is promising. But besides that, I still have questions marked about how he's going to get the most out of Jared Goff. He doesn't have a lot of talent offensively, but we'll see. I'm, I'm excited about the Anthony Lynn hire and curious about it as well. Mark Burrell. QB coach, again, established quarterback in the NFL, played a significant amount of time in the league, um, can give a lot of good experience from his past to the new quarterbacks, including Jared Goff. Hank Fraley retained him, offensive line coach. Love that move. Love that move. Ragnow loves him. Decker loves him. The O-line, it was getting better at, you know, times last year, I guess, over the last couple years. I think there's some talent gaps, more than coaching, which is why the O-line hasn't been great yet, but I like Hank Fraley. And then Anton Randall, wide receiver coach. Again, great personality to have in terms of your coaching staff. Great experience. It's a lightning bolt of energy. You see him out there having fun. And he's got, talk about a job. That wide receiver room he's taken over, he's going to be crucial to hopefully develop Maybe not everyone on this roster right now is going to be here next year. In fact, a lot of them won't be in terms of our wide receivers. But I'm not saying Brown, Cephas, Benson, a couple of these guys we just kind of got, you know, again, last second here with the waiver wire. He's going to be a big part of developing these young receivers. And then you look at the defense, man. Aaron Glenn. I, I love Aaron Glenn. <laughs> I, I know he's never been a DC before. Um, but I love his experience as a player. I love his demeanor as a coach. I mean, I've been listening to him mic'd up via the Lions YouTube channel uh, the last couple of weeks, and he's he seems to get it, man. If I was a player, I'd be jacked to play for a guy with his type of energy and emotion and experience. And also coming from a Saints defense that was legit probably top five almost every year when you really break down some of the stats, at least top 10 every year, I feel like, the last couple of years. He has an opportunity to become a very good coordinator, and I also think, similar to Deuce Daly, he's a future head coach. But even outside the assistant coaches he's hired that have NFL experience, I mean, you're talking about guys who are well-respected. Aubrey Pleasant. We have heard so much about Aubrey Pleasant this entire training camp, offseason. The importance of him developing this young secondary is huge for this team, and I believe he will. Look what he did in his time at L.A. with the Rams. 
he made that DB group one of the best in the NFL and developed a lot of those guys. It can also handle personalities like Jalen Ramsey. So I'm excited to see what he can do with this young secondary. Like I said, Okuda, Awarie. We'll see. Time will tell if these guys are truly the answer at corner, but I'm excited to see what he can do with them. Todd Walsh, our D-line coach, used to be a DC for Jacksonville. Again, you talk to other players who used to have him as their coach. They all loved him. He also has a high emotional motor, if you will, as a head coach. He's a guy who's got to get after his guys a little bit, which I think we need, especially when it comes to trying to dig deep in the trenches. And then Dave Thipp, special teams coach. Arguably one of the the top special teams coordinators over the last decade. Had a lot of success when he was out in Philadelphia. Um, And once again, beloved by the players who, you know, used to play for him. So I'm excited about the coaching staff. I'm excited about Dan. I'm excited about the direction of this team from the top all the way down to the bottom. And Brad Holmes, man, like I, I, if he can just make the right moves over the next year or two, by year three, this thing could be humming. But let's also talk about the draft too, because speaking of Brad Holmes, we, we got to mention the draft before we get into our kind of overview of where I think this team will be in 2021 um, and also previewing the San Francisco 49ers coming to town this Sunday. But going back to the draft, another thing to me that was promising about the Detroit Lions was their emphasis on building through the trenches. Dan and Brad both didn't want to say the word rebuild when they were first hired. And I get it. Right? You want to be positive. You want to have everyone have a chip on the shoulder. Like, oh, we're not rebuilding. We can compete. We're good. It's a good energy to have. But this is a rebuild. <laughs> this is for sure 100% a full-on rebuild. You don't trade away your franchise starting quarterback and say it's not a rebuild. You don't get rid of key players who contributed offensively and defensively and say it's not a rebuild. You, you just don't. But for him, it really started with the draft. And, and again, building through the trenches to me is a proven way to success no matter what level of football you're looking at. I mean, our first three picks, Penny Sewell. More on him in a second. Levi. Anzariki. Guy's a freak athlete. Could play pretty good DT. Had a pretty good last couple of games, uh, or moments, I should say, during the last game in particular, um, in the preseason, which was promising to see. And then Aleem McNeil, the nose tackle at NC State. Apparently this guy's the darling of training camp um, heading into the season, but he's starting as a rookie. And all signs are that he is the answer right now at nose tackle and probably into the future. So those three picks, the first three picks of the Brad Holmes era, um, just show again, we're, we're going to get the big guys bulk up up front and establish that and then build everything else after we got that core in the trenches solidified, which I love. As the rest of the players he drafted are athletes with upside, really. Players the coaching staff can mold. I mean, iffy, cornerback out of Syracuse, freak athlete. Great athlete, comes with size, lanky for a corner, just needs to learn how to play and develop, you know, a little bit faster. That's all. Thank you, Aubrey Pleasant. There's a project for you. Amon Ross St. Brown, pretty polished out of USC, but also a physical guy. A guy you know you can play right away in the slot. Might not be ever the best wide receiver on your team, but a guy who's going to be able to contribute and help you win. Derek Barnes, Jamar Jefferson, two athletes. Right, I mean, Derek Barnes started at the edge, then he went to the linebacker. This guy flies around trying to look for the ball. Um, and then Jamar Jefferson, I mean, 
kind of an underrated pick in the seventh round, to be honest. Go back and look at his stats in college. This guy's pretty good. And the coaching staff, they like him. He showed a little bit of signs here and there to be a pretty good third running back in your room. So I like the draft, too. That's another reason why I'm big on Brad Holmes. I like his mentality, his mindset, how he wants to build this team. And let's talk about Penny Sewell real quick, because I know he's been a huge topic of conversation throughout the preseason. And rightfully so. He's our first-round pick, number seven overall, looked as the best tackle in the draft, and struggled. He struggled in training camp. There's no other way about it. But I'm not surprised by that. I'm not. I, yes, ideally, he comes in right away and is just a freaking stud. I mean, I, ideally, all of our draft picks come in right away and they're freaking studs, right? But that's just not the reality of the situation. And yes, he was bad. He had some growing pains throughout the training camp, and people definitely hammered those home and, and tweeted a lot about it and shed a lot of light on that. But I am not pressing the panic button at all on him. In fact, I'm still extremely high on Penny Sewell, starting with his makeup as a human being. I mean... His story's phenomenal. Grew up in American Sonoma. Samoa, jeez, that was bad. <laughs> but then his family moved to Utah when he was in middle school so he could pursue a career in football and try to get a scholarship somewhere. Was a four-star recruit coming out of high school. Then really shined in 2019 as a 13-game starter at left tackle. Won the Outland Trophy. First sophomore offensive lineman and first Polynesian player to ever receive that award, by the way was a unanimous All-American that year as well, and then opted out of 2020. What everyone has to understand was, coming out of 2019, he was looked at as a generational tackle prospect. And in my opinion, still is. And my biggest thing with the struggles is, again, are you really surprised? I mean, he, like I said, opted out of 2020. Meaning he hasn't played a legitimate game with pads in over a year and a half. His last game was January 1st, 2020. That was a Rose Bowl win for Oregon over Wisconsin. Year and a half. Hasn't played. Also, he's switching positions to right tackle, which he has never played before collegially, let alone in the NFL. So you have a guy who hasn't played in a year and a half, switching positions from left tackle to right tackle. He's also one of the youngest players in the draft this past year. He might have been the youngest. He doesn't turn 21 years old until October. So he's raw. He is athletic as it gets. That's for sure in terms of his position. And he just needs to get the rust off. And he's also trying to learn a new position with a new offensive line. And that's another thing a lot of people, I feel like, need to understand is the offensive line takes time to gel. You all need to be in sync. You all need to be moving as one. And quite frankly... Let's be real. The guard next to him, he was at right tackle. Big V, not very good. He's not very good. Yes, they can hype him up. Oh, he's better suited at guard. We're excited to see what he can do at guard. That's nice, but he's not very good. So you're switching positions with a lineman to your left that isn't great, and you're young, and you haven't played in over a year and a half. It's going to take him time. Now, the good news is, not necessarily good news, but he will be playing left tackle this Sunday. And probably for the next month. Apparently, Decker, obviously, not really news at this point, but had some finger issues and went under uh, underwent finger surgery the other day. And he's expected to miss around a month of football. Now, this is a big opportunity for Sewell. I feel like he should be more comfortable 
On the left side, it's his natural position. He's got Jonah Jackson, who I believe is a much better guard than Big V on his right. He also has an opportunity, in my opinion, to win the position and hold that position even when Decker comes back. Now, he said he's fine moving back to right tackle when Decker returns. That's nice of him to say. (laughs) But I really think for him, his goal should be try to thrive at left tackle so they don't move you. He is the future left tackle of the Detroit Lions. There's no doubt about it. And in my opinion, if he can play really well there as a rookie and show it this month, why would you move him back to right tackle? I'm sorry, Eric Decker. You're not, you're not the future. Eric Decker, Taylor Decker, geez. It's late. <laughs> but, I mean, Decker, he's a good player. He's arguably a top 10 left tackle in the NFL. So I get why he wants to hold down that position. But Sewell is what's best for the franchise there if he can prove it. To put him there at left tackle, this is a huge month for Sewell. Again, first month in the NFL, everything I just mentioned, he has played football in so long, but at least now he's going to have the opportunity to play and solidify himself in his natural position, which hopefully pays dividends to how quickly he can develop. So I like Penny Sewell, and I just want to touch on him because I know so many people, so many fans out there just talking about, oh, he's a boss, we should have taken Justin Fields, blah, blah, blah. We don't know that yet. We don't know any of that yet. These guys are all prospects. You know, all these rookie quarterbacks getting talked about right now. Trey Lance, right? We're going to talk about him a little bit more later too. But Trey Lance, Justin Fields, Trevor Lawrence, Wilson, Mac Jones. They all could be great. You know, oh, we saw some cool glimpses of that they could be pretty darn good via their preseason. But that's preseason. We really don't know how any of these guys are going to be as pros yet because they're rookies. So, yes, there might be promise for some, and other guys might show less promise coming out of the training camp, but really, are all rookies, we really don't know. Time will tell. But like I said, I'm excited about Sewell. I'm excited about the direction of this team. But let's talk about a couple things. And the biggest thing being we got to trust the rebuild process. We really do. This is not going to be a fun season for the Detroit Lions, most likely, to say the least. A lot of fans in Detroit, I love you. Oh, 10 and 7, <laughs> 9 and 8. A winning record year one is possible. It's possible, but unlikely, if we're just being honest with ourselves. They inherited one of the worst teams in the league, this, this regime. I mean, defensively. Thank you, Matt Patricia, the defensive genius. Get get this. 2020, league worst, 32.4 points per game given up. Also league worst, 419 total yards per game given up. That was our defense last year. Historically bad. Bottom five in rush yards per game given up, 134.9. Bottom three in pass yards per game, 284.9. This defense was so bad last year that it was truly embarrassing. And a lot of people stopped watching the team because of how bad the defense was. Let's be real. But the offense, I mean, wasn't much better. It was better, but nothing to hang your hat on. Bottom half of the league last year, the Detroit Lions offense, points per game, 23.6. Total yards per game, bottom half, 350. Rush yards per game, 93.7. That's bottom three in the league. Could not establish the run any year Matt Patricia and his, team, and his coaching staff had, had hands on this team. Now, passing yards per game last year, not bad, 10th overall. 256.5 yards per game. But we have major downgrades in key passing game positions, starting with the quarterback. 
Now, I like Goff in terms of his personality, and I and I want to see him succeed. I felt like he got a little bit of a bad rep for whatever reason coming out of L.A. I think a lot of that was McVay. I believe me. I have friends in Los Angeles who are excited about the Rams and Stafford that they should be, and they're true Sean McVay believers. As again, he's a great coach when it comes to X's and O's and putting together an offensive scheme. But he's kind of an ass, right? Like he he is. Like that's fine to say. He thinks very highly of himself. Has a very big ego. Didn't want to take any of the responsibility or blame for golf regressing over the last two years. And I think McVay was a big part of that. And I think Big Bay really took a toll on Goff and his confidence, which I'm hoping he can recapture here in Detroit. But again, we regress at quarterback. There's no denying it. I'm excited to watch Stafford on Sunday Night Football this Sunday. Because I, I, I loved him when he was here, you know? I'm not going to be like, oh, he was the answer, shouldn't have traded him, but I liked him. And I'm sure the LA Rams are going to like him as well. But it's a downgrade. Stafford over Goff all day. And then wide receivers, I mean... Kenny Galladay, Marvin Jones, Danny Amendola. Those were our top three receivers last year, and notice none of them are on the team anymore. Essentially, the vast majority, probably around 90% of our wide receiver receptions are gone. Gone. Cephas is really the only one who's still here. So the defense was bad, terrible, horrible. (laughs) The offense was eh. But we regress in a lot of big positions. This is a bad team. Brad Holmes knows it. I know it. You should know it. They're not going to be very good. They could. They could surprise us all. I hope they surprise us all. But the reality of the situation is this roster is not very good yet. Because it's young. Which to me is perfect for a rebuild. A year of no expectations. A year of getting everyone's feet wet is 2021 for the Detroit Lions. And according to the team website, the average age of our opening 53-man roster is 24.6 years old. 24.6 years old. I'm 29. It makes me feel old (laughs) hearing that. We only have four players above the age of 30 on this team. That's crazy. That's how young we are. And the only team with a younger roster, barely, is the New York Jets. Also a team rebuilding. We don't have that many proven stars, guys. That's just is what it is. I mean, I think cornerstone-wise, Frank Ragnow, top two, three center in the league. TJ Hawkinson, definitely a top seven, probably tight end in the league. Those are cornerstones. I, I like them as big pieces to where this team is headed. And we got some talented prospects, too. I mean, I talked about Penny Sewell. I think he can still be a generational talent at left tackle. Jeff Okuda. A guy who I know a lot of mixed feelings on in Detroit. I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt. I'm excited to see what Aubrey Pleasant does with him. you got to remember, he was a five-star recruit coming out of high school, going to Ohio State, thriving at Ohio State where they had a really good defensive scheme and defensive coaching. I drafted too high. (laughs) Shouldn't have drafted him at number three. That was a quarterback draft pick right there that we, of course, Bob Quinn messed up. But Jeff Okuda has talent. He's just got to get his confidence back. He's got to have a coach just put him in the right spots to let him play fast, which Aaron Glenn has said multiple times he wants the team to play fast and play aggressive. Jeff Okuda, Jeff Okuda can still be a starting number one corner on a team, in my opinion. He has the ability. He's got to put it all together. But that's really it. 
That's really it when you look at this roster in terms of corner zones and talented prospects. You've got some other younger guys. I don't want to go through the whole roster, but there's other good young players that you have opportunity to develop and can become good starters on an NFL team for sure. For sure. But there's not many. And we still have to sort through key positions. That's another key for this year. If the Lions are really going to get this thing going in the right direction, is we got to know what we have with Jared Goff. Now, Brad Holmes, he came out and he said, We'll have plenty of opportunities this year to have a firm understanding of what he can do and if he and if he's our quarterback of the future. All signs point to us wanting him to be the quarterback of the future. And I agree with that. I want him to be our quarterback, not just this year, but next year, the year after, blah, 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 as long as he shows he's the guy for the job. A lot of question marks around Jared Goff. Like, Got to figure out what we, what we need to do with him coming out of this season. Also, our edge rushers. Got to understand and sort through that position as well. I mean, Romeo Cora re-signed him. I like his motor. I like his ability to compete and compete hard. He it was really good last year with QB pressures. But again, this is a new defensive scheme. We're going to a 4-3. We'll see what he can do if he can keep that up. I like the contract, by the way. Another good Brad Holmes move. Three years, I think it's around $13 million average per season. Not bad for Romeo Cora. A guy who's in his prime right now or just entering his prime. Trey Flowers, though, is another edge rusher I have a lot of question marks about. This could go down as one of the worst Quinn signings, in my opinion, was bringing in Trey Flowers. I like him as a person. <laughs> I think he is an effective player, as a complementary player to a defense. I don't think he's a cornerstone person you have on your defense like he's getting paid to be. He's a power rusher. That's what he is. Doesn't have a ton of moves. Not overly flexible. I mean, you watch his, his release from the line. It's okay, but it's all strength. All strength-based. No quickness, no... Just not much to him. He needs to prove, one, he can stay healthy the whole season, but two, that he can be a outside linebacker, essentially. That's the other thing with Trey Flowers is not only has he been inconsistent when it comes to his pass rush, but now you're going to also ask him to drop more into coverage. It's going to be a tough year for him, a big year for Trey Flowers as his time with the Lions might be coming to a close soon. And then the two positions that I, I don't think we'll be able to address at all this season, well, probably definitely need to be prioritized next year, linebacker and wide receiver. It goes without saying. We talked about the wide receivers. I mean, Terrell Williams is our number one. Hopefully you can stay healthy. <laughs> He's a good, probably... He's a great number three receiver. Probably a good number two when he's healthy. Solid number two when he's healthy. Let's not let's say solid. He's shown signs in the past he can play. But we'll see again what he can bring to the Lions. And then you just talk about the rest of the receiving group. I mean, I'm on I'm on Rossi Brown. I like him. I don't think he's gonna be, you know, this explosive answer at wide receiver, but he's a good piece. We'll see what he can do. And everyone else is just, again, we'll see how many of these guys come back next year. I'm not, I'm not expecting many of them to be here in 2022, 2023. So we'll see. The roster is going to be a work in progress, which is why this is a long-term rebuild. And that's the reality of the situation. And, and we're not going to be very good. But but with that, let's talk to the you know expectations for the upcoming season. Looking at our overall record, FanDuel, is saying for the Lions, over under five wins. That's that's the betting line right now, as of today. I think 
realistically, this team can win between three to seven games. Seven would be, I think, a really good season for this team, quite frankly. I mean, if you can win two more games than we did last year, that'd be awesome. Especially with all the turnover that we probably continue to see going into the next season. But for me, I'm going, I think we're going to be four and 13. And I'm not at all upset about that. <laughs> not at all. The four teams I think we're going to win, or beat, I should say, the Cincinnati Bengals. We'll see what happens there. It's definitely a game we can win. It's winnable. Same with the Philadelphia Eagles. Both of those, I believe, are at Ford Field. So winnable games at home against opponents who have some question marks. The Bears on Thanksgiving, I think that's going to be a big one for us. I think that's going to be the biggest win of the year is um, Bears coming to town. I completely expect Justin Fields to be the starting quarterback by that point. I wouldn't be surprised if we saw him week four as the Bears starting quarterback when the Lions face off here in Chicago. But the Thanksgiving game, national TV, I'm calling that's a big win, and people are going to have some nice things to say about the Lions coming out of that, nationally, too. And then the last one of the season for us will be the only away win at, at Denver. Uh, Denver just doesn't do it for me. They're fine. They're beatable. I mean, Teddy Bridgewater, Drew Locke. I guess some good receivers. I do like the receiver room. And their defense is pretty good, solid. But I just don't believe in that quarterback play, and I believe we can go in there and steal a win. To me, success this year is not about wins and losses. It's not. Here are the keys for me to deem this season a success. Number one, I want to see player and team development week over week. There's going to be growing pain. Like I said, this roster is so young. So there's going to be a lot of growing pains. We've got to learn from them. That's the key. You know, Don't make the same mistake over and over and over again. you got to learn from it. You also got to play disciplined. You know, we can't have guys flying around, penalties left and right. We got to learn from the mistakes and not make more mistakes that are self-inflicted. And then also just become more and more competitive each and every week. That's what I want to see. If this team can get better and show signs that they're getting better every week and that players are progressing, they're developing, we're disciplined, we're getting more competitive. Oh, we snuck out a couple of wins here, maybe against an opponent or two that going into the week we weren't feeling comfortable about. That, to me shows his team is heading in the right direction, which is all I want out of year one. That's all I, all I want. Because if I can see those things, the team's buying in. The coaching staff is doing their job. The players are getting better, so the players that Brad Holmes brought in are therefore, again, improving. And we're the right guys to improve this team. Well, a big part of that too, and I think MCDC, Mr. Dan Campbell, be really good about, really good about this. You gotta, everybody has to keep the energy and compete level up. He's an energy freak, Dan Campbell. A guy is literally just a, I don't even know how to describe him, a lightning bolt as soon as he freaking takes the stage. But he's going to make sure that this team, it's going to be a rough year, can keep their compete level and energy up and not get down on themselves. If he can do that, I fully anticipate this team getting better every week. I fully anticipate this locker room loving this coaching staff and loving one another and continuing to grow each and every day. And that's going to be key. you got to keep these guys positive in a season where it's going to be a lot of positive things to really um, harp on from the outsiders looking in. And the biggest thing, though, for Dan Campbell for this season to be a success is he's got to manage games well. Him and his staff have got to manage situational football well. How many times have we watched Matt Patricia 
I mean, Jim Caldwell, Jim Caldwell real quick. I know people ripped on Patricia, and then a lot of my friends were like, well, we should never have fired Jim Caldwell. Yes and no. He's better than Patricia. I'd rather have Caldwell in the building than Matt Patricia. But the biggest problem Caldwell had was, you know, he was great with the players. The players loved him. He's a players coach. But his game management was awful. It was awful, and it cost us a lot of games. Notice the team under him, yeah, we can beat bad teams. We can never beat good ones. You know why? Because we didn't know how to manage the game in the big moments and make the big play. We just didn't, didn't have a coach who could put us in the right position. That was Jim Caldwell's flaw. Cost him his job. Unfortunately, he was replaced by a fraud and Matt Patricia. But moving on, Dan Campbell and team, you got to be able to be a better game manager than the last two guys. Situational football, not overthinking it, understanding the game and how to manage the clock. That is really Dan Campbell's number one job outside of just owning the room and you know having a pulse of how everything's going. And then, like I said, too, the success would be understanding where we're at from QB position. I want to know by the end of the year, is Jared Goff the guy for next season, or is it truly time to like draft a quarterback? Because my biggest fear would be coming out of the season – we don't know. Jared Goff showed signs. He was he's kind of good. The team did all right. And he was like, could be the answer. And then, but I don't know if we need to draft a quarterback or we feel like we have to rush and draft a quarterback that isn't our guy. You got to figure out, like I said before, what to do with the QB position. If you, ha- if you don't figure that out by the end of the season, then it, it's not a successful season. And the only way I'd have red flags with this year, and again, my expectations are low. I said 4-13. and 13. If I see continued mistakes by players and coaches and lack of development like we did under Patricia, that's the biggest red flag for me. Again, player management for the coaches, player development for the coaches, players continuing to play with high effort and showing development and improvement week over week. Because Patricia's team, it was just the same mistake over and over, and nobody got better, I feel like. We can't have that again, especially in a rebuild where it's got to take some time. We just got to see gradual little baby steps every single way you look at it, every game. But that, to me, would be a successful season. That's kind of my expectation for the season. With that, let's just talk about the game this Sunday. Game one of the Dan Campbell-Brad Holmes era. 49ers come out of town, like I said, 1 p.m. Eastern time kickoff. In the den, Ford Field, um, spread as of right now, looking at FanDuel, Lions are getting 8.5. So that means basically, <laughs> man, they're predicting more than a touchdown loss for us, which I, I don't blame them for. Um, and yeah, the call to have for this game. I, I, I'll get more granular into game previews as I go on. Um, that's something I'm hoping to do every basically Thursday, Friday, Saturday, send out a game preview more in-depth than this one um, for all the games moving on this season. And then coming out of games, I'll do an analysis every basically Monday or Tuesday uh, of a game that was just played. But the call-outs for this week, um, again, I have low expectations for the Lions because we really don't know what to expect. <laughs> we don't. And I know I just spent whatever it was, probably the last 20 minutes or so, bashing how bad this roster is or how like hard of a rebuild this might be at first. But we don't know what to expect. We have a new offensive scheme. We have a new defensive scheme. We have a brand new head coach. We have a new starting quarterback. Yet, yet there's lack of talent on paper everywhere. We don't know what to get out of these younger guys. We don't know. All signs point to us falling off flat on our face, probably getting embarrassed by San Francisco week one, if we're being honest. 
That's what everyone would predict. I wouldn't blame you for predicting that, but we also can't definitively say what we're going to see out of this Lions team. There's so many new pieces to it. I really don't know what to expect, which is why I'm not going to get too granular into our roster analysis for this game and how we match up. Because I don't know. I just don't know. And a great example of this was week one, um, the game on Thursday. Tampa. Heavily favored. Everyone's picking Tampa to win that game. Everyone's kind of thinking, oh, well, the Dallas defense are not going to be that much better, blah, 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 blah. It should be an easy one for Tampa. It wasn't an easy one for Tampa. It's week one. Week one excitement. You never really know what to expect the opening week of the season. You just don't know because everyone's optimistic. Everyone comes in thinking that they can win. And Dallas definitely had an opportunity to do that this past Thursday. And I feel like that's going to be the mindset of a lot of teams is we're going to come in here and just play our ball and we expect to win. So I don't know what to expect week one out of the Lions. I don't have a ton of optimism in terms of us somehow taking it to San Francisco. It's probably going to be vice versa, them taking it to us. But low expectations for our team, but let's focus on San Fran for a second. Because I think they have more storylines to actually talk about than the Lions do. San Fran is coming in this year both hungry as well as healthy which is huge for that team. This is a team, everyone forgets, they're in the Super Bowl just a couple seasons ago. They have one of the best offensive head coaches in the league in Kyle Shanahan. They got talent on their roster, both offensively as well as defensively. And they have high expectations this year to not just win, but to go on a playoff run again and win deep into the playoffs. I like the 49ers. From a talent perspective, I think they're going to be one of the better teams this year. Now, they're in a tough division. They got to stay healthy. But coming into week one, we're going to have to see Nick Bosa. We're going to have to see George Kittle. These are two guys, two of their stars, and there's other ones too that were banged up last year as well. But they're all ready to play. And they've been dying to play and get out there. And I'm sure they're thinking to themselves, I'm dying to play the Lions. Why wouldn't they be? It's the Lions. But I'm excited to see them on the field. I'm not excited for our boys in blue, but I'm excited to watch this team. All year I'm going to be watching San Francisco, and especially when it comes to Kyle Shanahan. <laughs> he is so smart at being able to get his receivers, tight ends, running backs, just open and in space. The guy's an amazing game planner when it comes to the offense. And he's probably looking at our defense like, hey, he knows they're young. This secondary, super young. New, off, new defensive scheme, yep. Defensive line, eh. We'll see with our defensive line. They're young, though. They're young. We'll talk about the D-tackles in particular, other than the Brockers. So I'm sure he's excited, as the 49ers should be excited. They all over the field have more talent than us. Better strategic head coach. I expect this to be a pretty easy win for San Francisco, if I'm being honest. There's not really much else to talk about when it comes to this matchup. It's just just not, besides the fact that we really don't even know who their quarterback's going to be. I'm talking about the 49ers. Trey Lance, Jimmy G? Yeah, like I expect Jimmy G to start. But I wouldn't be surprised if they had a few packages where they just roll Trey Lance out there to throw us off and keep us on our toes. I, one quick pre- prediction about Trey Lance. He will be the starter going into the playoffs for the 49ers. And I think it's perfect for them if they wait on it. Give everyone the Jimmy G film and then wait to unlock Trey Lance down the road if they can help, if they hold on that long. And then that way no one knows what to expect from the playoffs and then let's see what he can do. But anyways, for the game on Sunday, 
spread was 8.5. Like I said, it they lose by more than a touchdown, which I agree with. I think it's going to be 34 to 20 San Francisco. And I think after coming out of this game, we'll have much more to talk about when it comes to our Lions. We'll have many more takeaways in terms of the roster and players to key in on. Um, but I'm excited for football. It's back. The Lions are back. The NFL is back. I love watching all the games. Got fantasy football going left and right, all three of my leagues. I'm excited. Um, and the number one other game I'll be watching this weekend, besides, of course, our Lions, is Sunday Night Football. Chicago visits Stafford and the Rams out in L.A. I want to see that stadium. You know they're going to have some sick, sick coverage of that stadium, both pictures, video, etc. It's Sunday Night Football, which means it's the big primetime game of the weekend. Always my favorite game of the week, even more than Monday Night Football. I Give me Sunday Night Football on NBC. And then, again, the storylines. Like Matthew Stafford as a Ram. Finally watching him play elsewhere. And I wish him the best. But wouldn't hate it if the Rams weren't amazing <laughs> for our draft picks purposes, to say the least. And then Chicago. You know, I'm living in Chicago. And I know I mentioned that a few times throughout the podcast. But living here, I know this city's ready for some football. You know, it's going to be the Andy Dalton show for how long, we don't know. But I expect them to be pretty antsy watching the game on Sunday out here in the city, um, watching Andy Dalton either win or fail, I guess. And then ugh, if he fails, man, if the Bears lose, which I expect them to lose, everyone in the city is going to be calling for Justin Fields to start week two. Everybody. But anyways, like I said, super excited for the league, super excited for this podcast, um, ready to restore the roar. And honestly, Lion fans, patience. That's what I'm going to leave you with before we head the season start. Patience, take it a game at a time. Let's look for positive developments out of this team and players and let's hope that, um, again, we made the right choices of who we hired, and uh, we'll take it from there. But thank you all for listening to the first episode of the DET313 NFL Podcast. I look forward to talking to you weekly. Uh, look out for my next podcast coming out sometime early this week as we review the 49ers-Lions game. And let's go Lions. <laughs>